Welcome to The Upward Journey, the weekly podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship, located in Flat Rock, North Carolina. In this series, we take a look at the various proofs surrounding the burial and resurrection of Jesus. Discover what it means to have questions and even healthy skepticism as long as you are willing to explore the evidence. Join us now for The Upward Journey. How many of you... Let's just be honest. We want to be completely honest this morning with no fear when I ask this question. (laughs) It's not that bad. Uh, How many of you would describe yourself as more skeptical than trusting? Can I just see your hands in all honesty? How many of you are more skeptical than trusting? You are a skeptic. You tend to think about things a long time. You want to make a good decision. So you kind of stand back and say, "Uh uh-huh, when other people just jump right in, you wait and think about it. Can I see your hands one more time? Just want to make sure more of them after I said that. Uh, You were skeptical when I first asked it, right? And now you're feeling a little better. Um, I want to tell you something. There's nothing wrong with being a skeptic. Some churches, uh, some Christians, let me put it a better way, some Christians almost seem to get offended when you ask questions about their faith. It's almost as if, uh, how dare you question what I believe to be true? How dare you question on Easter Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead? How dare you think that anything that I believe could possibly be wrong? That's not how we feel here at Upward. We invite your skepticism. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay if you don't believe everything that we believe. Some of you who may be struggling with this old Jesus business, uh, you just don't really know what this is all about. You don't know whether to believe it or not. We don't get offended because you have questions. It's okay to be skeptical. I got an email just a couple of weeks ago from a guy, and uh, believe it or not, he was a former prince of Nigeria. And he sent me an email, believe it or not. He had just arrived in California and had befallen an emergency and he had a half a million dollars and he just needed somebody that was willing for him to put that money in their bank account. (laughs) I know this sounds hard to believe, but just stay with me, okay? Just arrived in California and he had half a million dollars and you guys won't believe this, but he was willing to put it in my bank account. All I had to do was give him my bank account number to my checking account. And then, sent, this is just hard to believe, only had to send him a $95 processing fee. And he was going to put half a million dollars in my checking account. How many of you think that sounds like a really good deal? How many of you believe that I deleted that thing almost immediately? That's what you call healthy skepticism. Healthy skepticism. I find this to be true of the skeptics. A lot of times people who are skeptical about the Christian faith and ask a lot of questions, they make a better decision in the long run than some of the people who just believe everything they hear and jump right in. I also understand this, that our faith calls for a very high commitment. Our faith says, give your whole life to Jesus Christ. 
Our faith says he's risen from the dead, so you and I need to surrender everything we have and follow Jesus for the rest of our lives as not just our Savior, not just our buddy, but our Lord, our Savior, our God. So our faith demands that kind of commitment. And I just want to be honest with you. It makes sense to ask a lot of questions before you make a big commitment. Before you marry somebody, you need to ask them a lot of questions. Right? Before you buy something, you need to investigate it and be sure of what you're buying. So there's nothing wrong with approaching the Christian faith with some skepticism. Jesus said it. He said, before you enter into this commitment with me, you better be wise enough to count the cost and understand what you're getting into. It's amazing to me that Jesus invites our honest questions. Do you know God's not offended when you ask him honest questions? God doesn't get upset when you say, Lord, I just don't understand what in the world you're up to. I don't get this. Show me. Now, I'm going to give you today some solid evidence about the resurrection. But I want you to hear me if you're skeptical today. I'm not trying to win an argument over you. I just want to start a conversation with you about faith. And I want you to listen to what I say. I want you to respond. You can go on the website and send in your questions at ucf.cc. If you've got questions through this series, send them back to us because we want to have a conversation with you. This is not an argument. I'm giving you evidence. And I'll tell you what I'm not going to do today. I'm not going to ask you to take a step of blind faith and just believe what I say with no questions. I'm going to ask you to look at solid evidence that points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and ponder that evidence in your heart and make a decision about Jesus because here's the deal folks if he truly rose from the dead it changes everything I think most people would agree with me today that if Jesus did not rise from the dead we are wasting our time here this morning if Jesus did not rise from the dead, all of us should be down at Cracker Barrel having some hash brown casserole and bacon this morning. Amen? If he didn't rise from the dead, this whole business counts for nothing. But if he did rise from the dead, that's serious business right there. If he did rise from the dead, we have to listen to him because if he rose from the dead, he must be God. He must be telling the truth. He must have the authority and right to speak into our life if he came back from the dead. Let me put it this way. Anybody that comes back from the grave has got my attention. Amen. The Apostle Paul put it this way in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He wrote about some essentials of our faith. Four things that we've got to believe if we are a Christian. Four things. He said this. I pass on to you what was most important. He's saying these are the most important things. He said, and what had been passed on to me. This was considered an early Christian creed that even predated Paul. It's something that was passed on to him, a creed that they held that says this, Christ died for our sins just as the scripture says. You got to believe that if you want to be a Christian. He died in our place to pay the price for our sins. Christ died for our sins. He was buried say, why is that so essential to the Christian faith? If he wasn't buried, there's no good evidence for the resurrection. 
Are you with me? If his body had been disposed of as most victims of crucifixion's bodies had been disposed of, there would be no evidence for a resurrection. It's important to understand he was placed in that particular tomb. Thirdly, and this is what you might shout about, he was raised from the dead on the third day. The power of the Holy Spirit invaded the tomb and raised him from the dead on the third day. And then this is equally as important. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. That's what we're going to get into next week about the evidence of the eyewitnesses. But it's important that he was seen physically by Peter, by the apostles, by 500 other people who were still alive when this was written. Paul says it this, he, he just says it clearly. He said, if we don't believe, if Christ did not truly rise from the dead, our faith is useless. But I believe he did. Amen. And again, I'm not going to ask you to make a decision in blind faith. Today we're going to talk about evidence. We're going to talk today and for the next three weeks about the solid evidence of the case. And today we're going to talk about the evidence on site in Jerusalem at the tomb. There's some very compelling evidence outside the Bible. Maybe you're not here prepared to accept the Bible. Let's go outside the Bible and look at evidence even beyond that that points to the fact that he's alive. Number one is the location. We have to determine, was this tomb really empty? And the compelling evidence says yes. Yes. Because of the location. See, the message of Christ first started in Jerusalem. Where was he buried? Jerusalem. The grave was near the site of the crucifixion. Are you with me? And if they're going to proclaim the message of the resurrection, where, where did they start? Jerusalem. If you're going to start proclaiming that message locally in the same town as the tomb, if you're telling everybody he's risen and that tomb is right in town, it probably should be empty. Are you with me? How many of you know we have a couple of famous graves in Hendersonville? Anybody know buried in Hendersonville are the world's heaviest twins? Guinness Book of World Record, world's heaviest twins were from Hendersonville, and they're buried in Hendersonville. They've got, they're buried right beside each other, had this huge tombstone. Some of you remember those guys. Rode around town on motorcycles. How many remember those guys? Just to get that. Everybody but me. They're your cousins. Okay. We have family here. Famous grave. Another famous grave in Oakdale Cemetery. How many have heard of Thomas Wolfe and his novel, Look Homeward Angel? The angel that he saw as a child in Asheville that inspired that novel and that title is actually today in Oakdale Cemetery, and people come from all over the state and all over everywhere. People that come to Hendersonville want to go look at Wolfe's angel. How many have seen that? Isn't it just like you never see the things in your hometown? <laughs> Wolf's Angels in Oakdale Cemetery. Now, let me just put it to you this way. If I was going to make up a story that the person buried beneath Wolf's Angel had resurrected from the dead, if I was going to make that up to fool somebody, 
I probably shouldn't start preaching that right here in Hendersonville. Are you with me? It'd be one thing to go to Los Angeles, California and say, hey, there's a famous tomb over in Hendersonville and it's empty today. But if I got up here and preached to you this morning that the person buried beneath Wolf's angel was risen from the dead, you know what you would do? You would leave here and get in your car and you would drive just a couple of miles over to Oakdale Cemetery and you would find that that tomb was still there and you would say, that guy's a liar. I'm never going back to that church again. Do you see the point I'm trying to bring across this morning? The very place the message of the resurrection started was the locality where this tomb was located. All, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, all they had to do was take a short trip over to the tomb and see that it was still occupied. That is a powerful argument for the fact that the tomb was empty. Let me give you another one. How many need a little more evidence to, to be convinced the tomb was empty? Immediately after uh, Jesus was uh, resurrected, after this happened, the disciples went everywhere telling everybody, He's alive again. He is risen. That was their message. He is risen. That is still our message 2,000 years later. He was dead, but now he's alive. He has defeated death, and we can defeat the power of sin and death because he defeated it for us and in us. He is risen. But understand this. The first response of the religious folks to this claim that he is risen was not go back and look at his grave. They didn't send anybody to the tomb. Their first response, both documented in the Bible and in history, their response is this, he's not risen. His disciples came and stole his body away. Do you see what I'm driving at this morning? Their response presupposes an empty tomb. Do you get me this morning? Their response is called enemy attestation. That's what the scholars call it, meaning even the enemies of the gospel said, okay, you say he's risen. I'll give it to you that the tomb was empty, but let me tell you why. His followers came and stole his body away. There is compelling evidence, my friends, that the tomb was empty on that resurrection morning. Amen. Compelling evidence that you have a hard time knocking down. So, what happened? Well, there's only two possibilities in my mind. Either he really rose from the dead and walked out of that grave in the power of the Holy Spirit, or somebody came and stole his body away. Then that makes sense to you. One of those two things happened. Either somebody came and took the body away or what the Bible says is true. The power of the Holy Spirit came into that grave and raised him from the dead. And that's what we believe. But, but who would have possibly taken the body away? Who could these people be? We're going to be detectives this morning and try to track them down. Would the Romans have stolen his body? All to the contrary. They wanted him in that tomb. He was politically dangerous. In fact, they wanted him in that tomb so bad that they, they went along with the request of the religious leaders to put a Roman guard all around the tomb. They, they were as scared of Jesus when he was dead as they were when he was alive. 
Nobody else needs a guard on their tomb. <laughs> Let me throw this out to you as well. Nobody else can borrow a tomb. Rich man thought he was doing a big deal giving his tomb to Jesus. Jesus was only going to use it three days and three nights, right? <laughs> Wasn't such a big deal after all. He got it back, empty. The Romans wanted him in that tomb. Would the religious leaders of the day who opposed Jesus, would they have gone in and removed his body? I think not. They wanted him in that tomb so badly that they went to the Romans and asked for the guard to be put around the tomb and asked for the stone to be sealed. The religious leaders wouldn't have taken his body. The only other group left that possibly would have had a motive to steal the body would have been Jesus' followers. And I'll grant you, maybe they would have had a motive. Maybe these guys thought, well, if we go get the body and steal it away and take it away, then we'll concoct this story that Jesus is risen from the dead. And... But I don't think so. The more you talk about that, the more unlikely it seems that the disciples ever would have gone to the tomb to steal the body away. Why? This message, he is risen didn't exactly make these guys wealthy. This message, he is risen, didn't exactly make these guys popular. From the day they began to proclaim he is risen to the end of their lives, they were persecuted and cast out. They did it joyfully. They went to the ends of the earth and 11 of the 12 disciples, what they died for the message they preached. Only John died a natural death. I don't think they were making up stories. How many would like to just investigate the disciples and put them on trial this morning to see if they could have taken the body of Jesus? And if you know anything about the legal process, or understand that to try someone for a crime, there's three things, three classic things you have to be able to pin on them. Means, motive, and opportunity. Are you with me this morning? They have to have the means to do it. That is the ability to commit the crime. You've got to prove that this guy could have done this. Then you've got to line up that they had a good motive to do it, a reason for committing this crime. And then to convict them, you've got to show that they had opportunity. Opportunity is the one that people usually get, get off on because they get off with because they say, well, I wasn't in this place and I was in another place. I was in another state and I never had opportunity to do this. Means, motive, and opportunity. We've already talked about motive. Perhaps they had a motive to do it. Perhaps they didn't. That's a really, really weak argument. Did they have the means to go and steal the body of Jesus? I don't think they had the cuts. I don't think they had the courage. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when Jesus was crucified where the disciples were? Neither do I. There was only one even on the scene of the cross, and that was John. He's the only one recorded that even hung around at the cross. You know why? Because it was a very real threat that these guys would be crucified with Jesus because they were his followers. It's amazing to me how Peter, he was the tough guy, right? 
Peter's the one, the disciple who always fought. Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, actually took out a sword and cut off one of the guy's ears. People say, why did he just cut off his ear? The guy knew how to duck. I think Peter was trying to take off his head. This guy who was so bold in the garden, once he saw where this is headed, that Jesus is about to be crucified, let me tell you, crucifixion was greatly feared. They crucified people publicly as a deterrent, and it was highly feared. And once the disciples understood this, they ran like scared little kids. Peter actually ran away from a little girl and denied his faith and cursed and ran out away. These guys ran like scared cats. And there's no record of them during this moment. It says Peter went out and wept bitterly. We don't see the disciples in the story why they're all hiding. Now, how many think these guys who are scared, we don't hear anything out of them again till the, till the resurrection day when people had to go find them Basically, the Lord had to tell him, go find my disciples. <laughs> go tell them, and Peter, by the way. They didn't have the courage. How many thinks these guys who were off hiding in a room had the courage all of a sudden to withstand the Roman soldiers at the tomb and break the Roman seal and roll the stone away to take the body of Jesus Christ? I think not. I don't think they had the means. I don't think they had the ability. The last thing we would try them with is the opportunity. Did they have a chance to steal the body of Jesus? Was there any opportunity at all? you got three problems with these guys taking the body of Jesus that removes their opportunity. You've got the stone, you've got the seal, and you've got the soldiers. These guys, these things present a real problem for these guys actually being able to do it. You got a big stone in front of the tomb, first of all. Have you ever seen the Easter dramas that represent you? always have this perfectly round stone. It's about this thick, and it just rolls really neatly in front of the tomb. And then our passion plays. It just rolls really neatly off, and then you get all the smoke and lights, and Jesus comes out. That's how we portray it. Anybody ever seen a stone actually that round and that perfect? Typically what really happened is the stone didn't roll just like that into place. They rolled it some, but more than a stone blocking the entrance, most of the graves, there were only about, as they've uh, uncovered ruins, they've only found about four stones that actually look like that over graves. Most of the graves of the day were like big rocks that weighed two tons that were pushed into the opening of the grave, kind of like a cork being pushed into a bottle. They could roll it, but then they pushed it into that hole where nobody could move it and nobody could get in. They never thought there was an option for anybody coming out. But this huge stone was pushed in there, sealing off the opening to that grave. You know the New Testament, when it records about the stone being rolled away it means moved away but in the Greek it implies something very powerful it means moved away everybody say away it doesn't just say the stone was right here and the door was here the Greek Im implies 
that the stone was thrown away. Can I get an amen? amen? The Greek implies that the grave was here and the stone was way over there somewhere. A 4,000 pound stone moved from here to way over there. Not as if a couple of men had rolled it away, but as if an unknown power not known on earth at that time had thrown it away. Can I get an amen? amen? We as Christians believe what it says in Romans chapter 1, that God declared Jesus to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead and that he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When the Holy Spirit comes, things go boom. Can I get an amen? amen? Let me tell you this. When he came into your life, something went boom. My sins were washed away. New life was placed in me. New hope, new direction was put in me when the Holy Spirit came into my life. Amen. When Jesus saved me and forgave me, changed me. Holy Spirit is power. The disciples had no ability to get that stone and move it away. The stone's in the way. Then you have the seal. The Roman seal was, was placed in, a, in clay or wax, and it was, it was a seal of authority. And then it would be tied. They know this. It would be tied onto that grave with ropes. And the penalty for breaking the Roman seal was death. Again, you think our brave disciples would have touched that seal? You couldn't even get them out of their hiding place. They're not to, about to go and break a Roman seal. You could never prove that they had opportunity to steal the body. The other thing you've got in the way is the soldiers. Scholars debate how many were there. Sometimes you'll see pictures of two soldiers standing there by the tomb. I've done a lot of reading on it, and a lot of people that I trust believe that there were at least 16 soldiers posted at the tomb of Jesus. That's how powerful he is. The religious leaders were so afraid that something would happen like this that they asked the Romans to send a detachment of soldiers, 16 soldiers, to the tomb to guard it. And they stayed there, and they stayed awake. You know how I know they stayed awake? Because there was a punishment for sleeping on duty as a Roman soldier. When you were on watch, if you went to sleep, listen to the punishment. You were burned alive by a fire started with your own clothes. Let me tell you something. The Romans knew how to kill people. You hearing me? If you've ever seen depictions of a Roman battle, you would know that a Roman soldier was bad to the bone. Is that the good way to put it? That may be very 90s right there. I don't know what the <laughs> saying is today. And I graduated high school in the 80s, so I'm working really hard just to get to that. <laughs> Roman soldier was no guy to be messed with. They were hardened, battle-worn. Guys you didn't want to fool with. The penalty for sleeping on duty was death. And hear me on this one, too. If, 
if they caught that there had been sleeping and they didn't know which soldier it was, if nobody would admit it, they would cast lots. It's like they would throw dice to determine which one would be burned. How many believe if you were in a group of Roman soldiers, a detachment, and had to stay awake all night, you'd keep your buddy awake? How many believe you would stand duty? Hear me. There was an empty tomb. It was local. It could be checked out. The first response of the enemy had nothing to do with the tomb. They presupposed the tomb was empty. They said, I'll give you that. But the disciples stole it away. And the argument that the disciples stole it away is full of so many holes. They had no real motive to do it. There was nothing to gain for them but death. They hadn't the means to do it. No courage, no ability. They had no opportunity for the tomb was set behind a stone. It was sealed with a Roman seal. And it was guarded by Roman soldiers. Nobody ever in a court of law could bring a case against the disciples for stealing the body of Jesus. I've just begun the case today. We talked today about the on-site evidence. Next week we're going to talk about the eyewitness evidence of people who actually saw Jesus alive after he was crucified, after he died. The following week, we're going to talk about the historical evidence, even outside of the Bible. If you're not prepared to accept the Bible, I'm going to show you evidence from history that points to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The last week, we're going to talk about faith and evidence. How you can look at the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus and make a decision based on that evidence that you're going to surrender your life to him. And then the Bible says this, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. You make the initial decision based on solid evidence, but that decision leads you to a walk of faith to where now you can believe things that you haven't seen. You can trust in things you don't understand. Let me tell you something about the skeptics. Once you're convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and you surrender your life for him, God will call you to a walk of faith when you don't have to understand every decision you make. You with me? When sometimes the things that you do, then the obedience you take doesn't really make sense anymore. But you've made a decision to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life. Amen? Amen? I pray that you'll listen to the evidence. I pray you'll ponder it in your mind. I pray that you'll send us back your questions. Now, I know it's Easter. I know some of you are visiting with us for the first time. And just to be honest with you, some of you came here because somebody aggravated you till you came, and you're here today. And we're so glad you're here. Not knocking you. You're here. Some of you have already said, I know because I've been here. You've already said, now I'm going to go with them on Easter and then maybe they'll leave me alone. <laughs> I'm going to go that one time and then I'll check the box. I'm done with this. I want to challenge you to come back. I want to challenge you to come back and hear the rest of this evidence. Even if you don't, i got good news. You can go to our website and you can watch it. 
every Monday. We're working on live streaming. It won't be long before we'll be streaming this service live and high quality over the Internet. But for right now, it comes up on Monday. These services will be there. And I want to challenge you to have an honest, open mind and heart and listen to the evidence. Next week, the eyewitnesses. The following week, historical evidence. The last week, evidence that leads to faith. And I want to challenge you to make a good decision based on the evidence of the resurrection. I'm thankful today that I know he's alive because he's alive in me. He's alive in you. Amen. Would you bow with me today for prayer? Jesus, we love you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship, you can look up our website at www.ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. Join us next week for the Upward Journey.